Welcome to Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, Army Ranger, real estate investor, and income enthusiast. On this show, we uncover the keys to attaining financial freedom. There are so many people listening right now who are stuck in that day-to-day, nine-to-five rat race. Luckily, it's only temporary. Each week, we bring on guests that help us discover the steps to build financial freedom, passive income, and generational wealth, so we can live the life we were born to live. Money is freedom. Let's get to the show. Welcome back to another episode of Wealth Science. I'm your host, Jesse Fuchsia, and today's guest is Jason Bellara. Dr. Jason Bellara is the CEO and co-founder of Lark Capital Group and host of the Know Your Why podcast. Jason is also a veterinary surgeon with extensive experience and training in his field. He additionally has many years of experience in real estate investing on the residential side with single family fix and flips and small multifamily units. As a real estate investor, Jason is focused on class B and C multifamily and self-storage value-add deals in order to achieve excellent returns for himself and his investors. Wealth Science, I bring you Jason Ballara. Jason, welcome to the show, brother. What's going on? Jesse, thanks for having me. I really appreciate it. It's it's kind of weird to hear someone just reading reading about yourself. It's a, it's a little bit odd, those intros. I, I, I appreciate it. But yeah, thanks for having me. Yeah, absolutely, Jason. I'm sure it's nice to get out of the host seat every once in a while and be the guest and not have to drive the conversation. But just so everyone knows, your podcast was the first ever podcast that I've ever been a guest on. And that was probably like, I want to say last summer sometime, summer 2020. Yeah, it was early early summer, late, maybe late spring. You, yeah, you were, I can't remember exactly the episode, but I mean, single digits, you were, you were one yeah. of my first guests. So I, I appreciate you being there when I was starting out. That was great. Yeah, no, the same to you. And I, I can't, I'm so thankful to have the opportunity to have you on. And I think your stories have seemed extremely intriguing and where it's kind of gone and, and scaled over these past couple of years. For the people who might not know who you are, Jason, I mean, if you could take a couple of minutes and kind of share some of your background and let us know what you do. Sure. Yeah. I mean, like you said, uh, I worked a lot in, in uh, residential real estate sort of growing up. And I, Back, quick background, I guess, really the beginning is I didn't come from money. We didn't have, uh, we always lived in apartments. We always moved a lot, things like that. And so I, I sort of say that only to sort of plant the seed that I always had in my mind that ownership was where I wanted to be, right? I didn't want to, I, I knew I didn't want to be paying for something that wasn't mine. So at a young age, I knew I wanted to buy a house. Um, I also at a young age knew I wanted to be a veterinarian. So there was kind of the the two paths uh, that I went along throughout, you know, as childhood and, and then, you know, going through college and high school or it's high school, college and, and on. Um, but ultimately, my real estate stuff really started out of necessity. Like I said, I wanted to be an owner, um, but I didn't have any money. And fortunately, that was... 2004, uh, and, or sorry, 2000, 2000 was when I first bought the house. So 2000 was when I bought my first home at 25 and it was, uh, $99,000 and everything in the house needed to be fixed. So at the time people, probably a lot of your listeners aren't old enough, but at the time 
anybody could get a mortgage, right? Like this is before the crash. Anybody could get a mortgage. I don't think I put any money down. It was just like, I want to buy this house. They're like, oh, you have a job. Okay, good. So that <laughs> that's about all it took. And, and you can imagine that's why there was a housing crash is because it was that easy. But the, the, the good thing for me is that um, I... I don't know if it was good that I didn't have the money, but, but it helped me get started in the sense that I didn't have the money to like hire people to fix things. So I essentially learned construction quickly myself, taught myself a lot of it. I also um, just started asking a lot of con uh, questions of the contractors that I was around and one of them actually ended up hiring me. So uh, as I worked my way through college and vet school, I worked for contractors. I worked in construction. I learned the trades associated with home building. Um, and so to the point where it's like, I, I really can probably build a house myself. I know all the parts, I know the components. I don't want to do it all myself anymore, but I've, I've done every piece of it. And so I worked through, I worked that way for, for a large portion of my life, kind of live in flips. Um, I owned a three family in Boston at one point, just kind of, I didn't consider myself a real estate investor. I just knew if I bought something, that was cheap and needed work, I could fix it up and make money on it. So I kind of just did that uh, throughout the years as I pursued my veterinary career. Um, being a veterinary surgeon, it takes undergrad college, four years of vet school, and then four years of additional specialty training. So it's a long road. Uh, and kind of throughout that time, like I said, I was also supporting myself by doing construction projects and working on my own house. Um, fast forward to a couple of years ago, uh, just about three to be exact, my son's birthday was just the other day. When my son was born, I realized that the, the way I was doing real estate at that point wasn't going to be sustainable. It was because my thought was I'm just going to keep flipping houses or I'm just going to keep doing construction projects. And at this point with young kids, what I started to realize is I just needed the time I needed to, to take back control of my time. So I worked through that, you know, sort of maybe the process that a lot of people work through in sort of scaling. And, and I did it in my mind. I just thought, okay, what do I, you know, first I thought I'm going to, I'm going to buy single family uh, rentals and, and like burr them or something like that. But then I started thinking, okay, well, how many single family houses do I have to buy to create the type of passive income that I want? Uh, I was happened upon a podcast on syndication and apartment complexes. And then that really took me down that route. So it, it took me, uh, you know, gosh, a year or so to find my first deal, but, but really in a nutshell, I kind of worked through the, the steps, the progression in my head rather than, you know, sort of playing them all out because I, I just realized what, what would be most time consuming me time consuming of me that would take me away from my kids. Yeah. I think that's incredibly powerful. And just, you know, going back to your beginning of growing up in a family where you were moving around a lot, you know, you guys grew up in apartment buildings. You said, you know, I'm really interested, Jason, like growing up in that, you know, kind of basis or that mindset and then going on to be a vet surgeon, like that's a big deal. I mean, I'm picturing like, that's a pretty big leap. You know, I guess, how did you kind of, from a mindset perspective, almost make like that transition of, again, growing up in apartment buildings to now owning real estate at 25 and, and going on that journey of being a vet surgeon, which you said was nearly a decade worth of education in itself. Yeah, I, I mean, it's a great question. I, I think uh, 
you know, a lot of people rebel against their parents, right? And so you do the opposite. And and I don't, this is not to disparage my mom. I love my mom. We're very close, but she, she was a single mom. She did the best she could meet with me and my brother. And I just, for whatever reason, everything that I saw that, you know, you might be taken as a negative, I said, okay, well, I'm going to do the opposite, right? I'm like, here we are living in these apartments. We, because it was like, when you live in an apartment, you're a kid, you're like, I want a dog. Well, the landlord doesn't let us have a dog or I want, you know, we want to do this, you know, we can't paint the apartment or whatever it is. Like you, it never becomes your own and you move frequently. And it was just like, for whatever reason, I realized that wasn't the life that I wanted and I wanted to own. Um, and so it was just, and, and I just, I loved animals, right? So that, <laughs> I guess that that's where the veterinary stuff came from. I loved animals, but what I realized when I got into vet school was that I had a passion for surgery. So, you know, not every veterinarian specializes. And so many of them, you know, your, your family veterinarian, where you go for your vaccines and things like that, like they didn't necessarily have to go on the extra four years of, of additional training, but, you know, so there, there's a, a difference there. Like, if you were to ask me how to vaccinate your dog or cat, I couldn't tell you like, that's not what I do anymore. I do surgery. And and so that's, it's very specific at that point. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think it, it, that's a great question, Jesse. I mean, honestly, the, the, the mindset was I saw what I didn't like about our lives growing up and wanted to be, wanted it to be different and wanted to, and a lot of it was, I, I wanted to, then provide back for my family. Right. So I wanted, I, I started working very early. Like I, I realized, I realized what you could do with money and I didn't do a lot of smart things with money throughout this time, but I worked my butt off and, and made enough of it to, you know, sort of make, make a good living. Yeah, that, that's incredible. And I love asking some type of form of that question because we've had people on here, Jason, who, you know, just give an example. I mean, grew up on food stamps, literally come on the show and say there were Christmases where we had nothing. And today, oh, yeah. those same people. We had, we had food stamps at the time. So <laughs> same stuff. I mean, yeah. Yeah, it's, uh, it's crazy. But like, what's so fascinating is like, and, and today they own, you know, 10,000 doors. And they're like, Jesse, you know, on paper, I have a net worth of, you know, $80 million right now. And it's like, I, I just find that so intriguing of it's so possible that I guess where you start, Jason, and like you're the example, where you start doesn't have to be where you end. And I just find that whole process so fascinating. Um, yeah, thanks for sharing that. I really appreciate it. Going back to maybe a few years ago where you started making that shift, you know, to the commercial space, I get asked this all the time from prospective investors, Jason. I mean, what's kind of the best ways that worked for you when it came to like bridging the knowledge gap of learning about, you know, commercial real estate and all the amazing things? I mean, people talk about mentors, podcasts, books. I mean, how have you kind of bridged that gap? And I guess what's your recommendation to other people? We, I mean, I, I did all three. I uh, started with a whole lot of reading and listening to podcasts. I mean, I, I, I end up uh, driving a lot just as part of my job. So I, you know, always a podcast in the, I, I'm a big music fan and I like <laughs> had to flip that switch. So I wasn't listening to, to music in the car. I was listening to podcasts. And then when I started to really dig into it, it was, I just, you know, I just started buying book after book after book and, and reading everything I could get my hands on. 
And then uh, I went ahead and, and got a mentor as well. So it was like, people always talk about how you either have to uh, have, you have to have time or money, right? Like those to get started, you have to have time or money to, to get going. And so I didn't have time, but I was far enough along in my career that I had a little bit of money so I could invest in myself and have a mentor. So it was like, if I had done this when I was 20, it would have, I would have been on the opposite end of the spectrum. It would have been like, I have no money, but, but put me to work. Like I'll do anything for, for, you know what I mean? And unfortunately I didn't realize <laughs> the power of all this when I was 20, but you know, here it is now. Like I, I don't, I don't look back on any of it and have regrets or whatever. It's like, yeah, if you had a time machine, I would have bought apartments in 2010, right? Everybody, everybody would, but here we are. So it's just making the best of, of what you've got right now. And uh, I, I think the three things you listed really books, podcasts, and, and mentorship are, are going to be the, the very best way. And whether that's a paid mentorship or, or you manage to, you know, kind of get into some sort of apprenticeship program or something, I think those are great ways to do it. Yeah, I absolutely agree. And I tell everyone, um, you know, what such an easy way is the podcast in the car. We're just, you know, every day at the gym, if, you, if you're a gym person, just, just do a 30, 40 minute podcast at the gym once a day. If you just do one podcast a day, you know, five or six days a week, if that's all you do, just within a month, you'll learn so much, um, especially the Know Your Why podcast. But um, <laughs> going on to the uh, segue into our next question here, Jason, you know, on that first commercial deal that you did, I'm really intrigued by it. And I get asked this all the time. I'm, I'm interested in your perspective. Um, you know, what's a way I can add value to a team? Because I think it's really intimidating in the beginning, you know, unless maybe you came from like a, a politician family or some type, I don't think you've accessed the millions of dollars of investors or anything like that. You know, I guess, how did you bring value to that first deal that you're on and how can other people do the same or maybe segue into something else? Yeah, I think it's a great question. I think that, so I, I think my strength is asset management, right? Mm -hmm. If you talk about a syndication, you really have kind of the, you could say three, three important role or three important components. There's finding the deal and closing the deal. There's raising the capital and then there's managing the asset afterwards, right? So, and some, sometimes those things get broken down into smaller pieces. But to me, those are the three things that I really think are, really vital to the to the whole process. And so um, I I think this was one of the good things about my mentor is she told me you have to, you want to decide, are you a deal finder or are you a capital raiser? Because even though I knew, I knew my strength was going to be asset management because one, like I have a construction background. I understand how that stuff works. I know I can talk to contractors and know what they're talking about. Also, like the fact is like, if, if you're buying C-class apartments, like I grew up in those, mm -hmm. I know, like I know that environment and I can kind of go right back into it very easily. It doesn't, it doesn't sort of phase me. I think probably it's, it's a little bit uh, intimidating if someone grew up in, uh, you know, upper middle class or what it's, it's not wrong. It's just, it's just what you know. And, and I know sort of that kind of environment. Um, so that's what I always thought my strength would be, and and I still believe that. But I uh, I think you either have to 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 add value to begin with. You either have to find the deals or you have to find the money. And I 
it's probably surprising to hear this since I do have a podcast. Like I'm, I'm a pretty shy introverted person. I don't like, I can do this because to me, it's just you and I talking, right? Yeah. Like if I started to actually think about people listening and all of that stuff, it, I would get even more nervous than I get, but, <laughs> and starting my own podcast podcast was like a terrifying thing to me, but I, I just really do enjoy the conversations. So I didn't see myself at a, as a capital raiser. I saw that I could force myself to become a capital raiser if I had to, because we may talk about this later, but that's where my whole, you know, know your why thing is. It's like, tell what I do. If, if I know why I'm doing this, I can do anything. And so I can get into that. I don't care how comfortable it is or not. I'll, I'll get there. Um, but so what I did is I found the deals. I mean, and to answer your, <laughs> your question with a very long winded answer, I found the deals. That's how I sort of brought value to that. The, the ones that I've closed as far as syndication. Yeah, I think that's incredible. And finding the deal, finding the capital, I mean, it's both super important. You can't have a deal without capital. If you've got capital and no deal, you're you're in the same boat. But also to your note about, you know, you growing up in C-class apartments and also having the construction background, I assume adds value as well, because I'm sure there's renovations that have to go on if you have to improve the property or something, which that's right up your alley as well. So, you know, I tell everybody, even if you're, you know, new to this game, you know, anyone can find a way to add value. You don't have to be in this game for four decades to find a deal. You know, I know somebody who just started out who was like, yeah, I, I, uh, whatever, there's this 20 unit down the road for me. I know it's owned by a mom and pop. I went and knocked on it and talked to the owner one day. And that guy started like two months ago, but he found a deal. Um, so it's like, anyone can do this. I, I just find that really intriguing. And I'm glad you brought that up. Um, I, I had a question specifically about value-add self-storage. So I'm really, really bullish on value-add self-storage. We're looking at a deal right now in Oklahoma City where there's a small section of it, Jason, that has storage on it. But it sits on like 10 acres that's already zoned commercial. Um, the mom and pop owner just doesn't, they've owned it for 40 years and they just don't, you know, they own it outright. They have no reason to expand or anything like that. I'm really intrigued by things like boat and RV storage. I think that's really awesome to kind of add value like that. I guess, what are some of the awesome aspects that you see in value add self-storage and that kind of draws you to that asset class? Yeah, I mean, the self-storage side of it is, I think if you're talking about self-storage value-add and, and multifamily value-add, it's actually mm -hmm. kind of two different things. On the self-storage side, it's more of a, it's business, right? It's it's totally business. You, yes, you have, there are, you know, in theory, tenants, but like, you're just storing their stuff. They don't actually live there or that actually, it does happen that people try to move into them, but that's that's a totally different story. But But your idea about, like uh, if you have empty space on there that you can turn it into RV or boat storage, that's a big thing because it's not very costly to have the land essentially leveled and sometimes you can even just do gravel. And so it can be an easy way to add value to those types of empty spaces. They also have companies that um, essentially bring in more storage units and they just stack right next to each other. So you just have the land kind of graded and you can have these new storage boxes brought in. So you just have to figure out what the, the best, you know, cost to value ratio, like what's the need in your market? If is the need for RV and boat storage? Okay. Do that. If, if the need is for more storage space, you might actually make more money by getting those, those units in 
Um, or you can obviously add with new construction more units that way. So there, there's a lot of different ways to approach it. You're also looking at kind of the management of it and how how efficiently it has been managed. Like, does it need to have someone on site? Probably a lot of them don't, unless it's a really big or like a class storage facility. Um, a lot of it can be done electronically, can have a gate that locks. You know, there, there's a lot of things where it's like people can go in and, and out, get their stuff and never actually talk to anyone. They can lease online. I mean, there's there's a lot of ways to to increase that efficiency because payroll at a self-storage facility is probably your biggest expense. Yeah, that's that's really intriguing. And I think it's incredible. And I love the aspect of storage where it can be automated and that really, like you said, unless it is a large class A property very well, you know, we're in the world of kiosks today and how anything can be automated. And I'm just super intrigued by it. And I think I, I talk about this on LinkedIn a lot, but there were more boats and RVs bought in the last two years because of COVID. People had to do socially distanced activities. And now we're in this era where like there's not enough there's not enough place to store them. Uh, municipalities are outlawing, not allowing people to put them in their driveways and people have to actually store them at site. So I, I, I'm really intrigued by it. I love value add self-storage. That's something you and I have in common. Um, last question on the storage piece. When it comes to like figuring out, Jason, if it, you know, if there is demand for RV and boats, or maybe there's demand for more storage, I guess how can you kind of test that within the MSA or how do you come to that conclusion that, hey, we have a demand here for our boats and RVs or something like that? Robusta Move was founded from our passion for two of the most simple and amazing things in life, good coffee and good music. Both of these enjoyable aspects of life play a vital role in the bringing together of people. And although we understand that everyone's music taste is different, there's no denying that when it comes to coffee, the difference between a good cup and a bad cup is undeniably blatant. That's why in the spirit of community and coming together, we at Robusta Move have made it our mission to supply our customers with superior coffee that you, your friends, and your family can enjoy. And we'll leave the playlist up to you. Visit robustamove.com and save 20% on your first order with the code VINYL. That's code VINYL, V-I-N-Y-L, to save 20% on your first order at robustamove.com. Robusta Move Coffee. Try it today. Yeah, I mean, typically, I guess you're going to want to, if, if essentially they call it secret shopping or whatever, do, yeah. do a market survey yeah. of the surrounding other self-storage places. And so if you go and you check out, you know, three or four self-storage, uh, other self-storage facilities within, you know, say three to five mile radius, depending on how big the MSA is and all of the RV and boat storage at all of those facilities is full and they have a waiting list. Like there's a demand for that. If they have RV and boat storage in their 50% capacity. That's probably not what you want, you know? And so it, it's the same thing with the, with the actual storage units, right? So if you do a market survey and the 10 by 10 units are sitting vacant at other places, but there's a wait list for five by five, then you don't put more 10 by 10, you, you split them in half and, and make it five by five. It's, it's, I don't want to say it's easy, but it's, it's probably an easier math problem than like multifamily is. 
right? Because you don't necessarily have that human element of like, what are people going to like? What do they want in their uh, in their apartments? You have truly just well, what's the need for this particular size or type of storage in this market? And then if you have the space like the the deal you're looking at, if you've got that much space, you can do a little bit of both, right? Like you can put RV and boat storage in, at, on part of it and you can add some of those, I think it's called Boxster. I'm sorry, I just can't remember the name of the, the company that um, comes out with those portable units, but it's just, it, there's a lot of opportunity, right? There's a lot of different ways it can be done. Yeah, it's awesome. And I, I had a mentor once told me, Jesse, invest in an asset where your tenants don't sleep there. And like you said, 99% of the time, that's the case. There's the 1%. But uh, though, I guess if I could sum storage up in one you know, sentence, it's, you know, tenants aren't sleeping there. There's no toilets. Uh, there's very little utilities, you know, outside of maybe electric or something like that. You're not laying septic tanks or or water lines or something like that. So it, it, to me, you know, we're living in this world of Amazon where goods are only increasing, population growth is increasing, people are going to need more space. Um, and then also just to end it on this, the recession resistance, I think, of storage as well. Um, you know, downturns, I'm sure in 08, when people were losing their homes, you know, they had to downsize into apartment buildings from that 2,000 square foot yeah. home into a 1,200 square foot apartment. Where are they going to put their excess stuff into storage? So um, it's yeah. super powerful. But uh, yeah, that, that's a that's a phenomenon. You're right. That that does happen. But that's a phenomenon to me that I don't. It doesn't make sense to me, right? If you if you don't have the money, you have to downsize your house. Get rid of the stuff. Yeah. Right. Like don't. <laughs> but people do it. I mean, like. The, the reality is that people do it, put it in, they put it in storage. I, I don't know if it's just with the hope that things will get better and, and, you know, sort of they'll be able to get their stuff back again. But uh, I, I certainly have had things sit in storage units for a long time and, and not missed them. And just like, it's not a, it's, it's an interesting, maybe human, uh, <laughs> human experiment or human condition that we, we like to keep all our stuff. Yeah. Yeah. You're probably right. Or something crazy. Um, to kind of transition us, you know, away from the real estate piece, maybe more to like the mindset piece. I love interviewing Jason, other podcast hosts, especially podcasts that, you know, are so much about mindset and not just about, you know, building wealth. And I'm a huge mindset person myself. And I know that the Know Your Why podcast just recently hit 50 episodes. You've had, you know, so many incredible guests on your show. You know, if you could pick, you know, one guest that you've had just an incredible conversation that might have stuck out. You know, I'm curious who that guest was and, and maybe what that discussion was about. Make it make me make me offend anyone else who I don't pick. Um, <laughs> I mean, I is mean, there, is there like, one or two that just, man, you like you're in the conversation. You're just like, wow, that was incredible. I, I mean, definitely. Yeah, there's I mean, there's been definitely some people that have just sort of blown me away in terms of whether it's their, you know, from a mindset side or like how much they've accomplished in real estate quickly. Um, I, you know, when it comes to mindset, probably the guy that pops to mind for me is Austin Linney. I mean, he, mm -hmm. and he, I, I don't think it's any necessarily any secret to anybody that he's a big mindset guy. I think he, uh, really sort of with his construct your life podcast. I mean, he just really sort of embodies that idea of you can turn your life around because, you know, his, his story is, is a, he had a, a difficult past as well. Uh, you can turn your life around and you can make good on it. And, you know, he's all about giving back to other people. So I think, you know, if I had a, to pick one in terms of mindset, I think I'd probably say Austin Linnea. I think it's, there's been just a lot of 
on like really great conversations. I just, I mean, I, I enjoyed the conversation with you. I think it's, it's just what the reason I started my podcast, like the reason that it's called know your why it's the reason why that's, you know, important to me. Like this is my, this is the, the company shirt. The back of it says, know your why like, that that's shirt. the reason. That yep, that's right. <laughs> that's, that's the reason is because when when I listened, when I was beginning and I was listening to so many podcasts, the ones that stood out to me, it wasn't necessarily that someone had 10,000 units. I'm like, that's awesome. Good for you. Congratulations. What stood out for me was the people's stories. And so when I, when I made the leap into starting my podcast, it wasn't what, it wasn't necessarily meant to be about okay, how many units do you have? How many assets under management? Like all of that stuff. It's more like, truly, why do you do this? And, and that's really what, that's what matters to me. And that's, you know, you, you read all the books, all the real estate books. And it's like, this is, these are the components you need to get started. And one of them is always, it always says you need to know your why, but I, I think in a lot of times it got, it got brushed over uh, in terms of the, you know, sort of <laughs> techniques as far as closing a deal. But there's a lot of reasons to give up in this business. There's a lot of, or not, not necessarily reasons, but there's a lot of roadblocks that will test your will and your, your, you know, kind of strength to keep going. And you have to have a reason, you have to have a why to push through those moments. Like it's, I, maybe there are people that haven't had the dark days, but certainly I have, and a lot of my guests I've talked to have had the dark days where it's like, this isn't easy. I kind of don't want, you know, it's, there's a reason why not everybody does it. So there has to be something pushing you. Yeah, that's, that's amazing. And I just interviewed Austin last month. I mean, I'm a huge fan of the constructor life that his story is absolutely insane. I mean, I, I had a couple ideas in my head who you're going to pick. I'm a huge fan of the Yona Weiss episode, but I'm just a huge LinkedIn Yona Weiss fan, but Austin is an incredible guest. And I, completely agree with you that there are, you know, I don't know what the attrition rate is in this game of how many people start and finish, but I'm sure it is pretty high. I mean, you know, you, you hear these stories of people who have failed for years before they got their first deal and now they're on to success. But I, I love, I love what you shared in the beginning that it's really the, it's the why behind it. It's people's stories. It's, it's, it's about the journey. It's not so much about the destination. Um, that that's incredibly powerful. And I, I 100% agree. Um, you know, I, I had a couple of questions about what being a vet, uh, vet surgeon is like as well, because I think that career is absolutely uh, another, like that that alone is like a superhero career. Like if I picture a superhero in my head, Jason, I think of a, a, a doctor who operates on animals and, and saves animals' lives. What do you think is, is the hardest part about being a vet surgeon? The ones I can't fix? Yeah. Yeah, I, guess. I, I mean, uh, I think that's honestly, that's it. Like, because, and I'm, I'm not, I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I'm pretty good at it. Like I'm, I'm pretty good at surgery and I, I don't, I don't say that about a lot of things. So I'm not, <laughs> but I think I am really quite good at, at surgery. And I, I, when I can't, when there's a thing I can't fix, it sort of takes a little piece of me every time. So that's, it's, it's just and and that's that's medicine right like that's when in in real estate and construction there's always an answer there's always an answer you like a little bit more money and you can you can fix it 
right? But it, when you're talking about a life, that's not always the case. Some clients can have all the money in the world and we can't fix them. Some clients, we can't fix them because they don't have any money. So it's kind of, there's, that's, that's it. Like realistically, that's the rest of it. There's thing, you know, there's like annoyances in the day, but really the, the, the hard thing, the stuff that fit, sticks with you is what you, what you can't fix. Yeah, I, I agree with you. I mean, in, in real estate and in the military, I mean, every there's, I tell everybody that there's a solution to every problem out there. You know, whether we want to enact that solution, you know, might be on us, but to be in a situation where there is no solution or that the solutions, you know, being blocked by, you know, financial capabilities or, or whatever it is, uh, I can, I can imagine how difficult and challenging that is, especially, you know, from your perspective, where, as you said, you are extremely, uh, you know, skilled at your career path and, you know, do an incredible job at it. You know, I, I'm sure this is a, maybe a difficult question to answer, but, you know, do surgeons, you know, when, when there's issues either on the table or, and you said yourself that you take that home with you or you take a piece of that with you. I mean, is there an issue within the surgeon community with that? I mean, is there a high depression rate or, or anything like that? Or is this a common issue that a lot of surgeons in, in your field face? Uh, the suicide rate in veterinarians as a whole is uh, one of the highest professions in, in all professions. So really? not just veterinary surgeons, but yeah, we're, we're always like at the top of the, uh, I don't know, whoever keeps these statistics, the, the yeah. high rate, high rate of suicide within the field. And, um, it's actually, an, it's, it's the other part of my, why I want to help other vets. I want to, because a big part of it is, is financial burden. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I want to help other vets to sort of get out from under the, 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 you sort of sometimes crippling pressure of, of the career. And, and just Jesse, let me just say something too. you. Uh, you touched on this. Uh, I don't know if you know, you did, but when, when I think of superheroes, I think of the military. So thank you. Uh, yeah. Thank you for your service. And thank you to, to all the military. I think um, I, I share, um, you know, so an equal level of respect and, and admiration for, uh, for what you do. And I, and I think, I'm sure you also deal with lives. So it's not, uh, it's a similar, (laughs) the animal lives, human lives. I mean, yeah, you know, they matter to, they matter to someone. So I'm sure Mm -hmm. that's, that's, uh, extremely hard as well. So, uh, so thank you, but, but yeah, I, um, it, yeah, this, this veterinary suicide rate is, is extremely high. It's, it's a hard, I've had colleagues, uh, mentors that have committed suicide. So it's a thing that, uh, almost all of us know someone. Yeah, that is, it's a, it's a tough thing just in the military. Um, I don't know what the exact statistic is, but there's a high suicide rate among veterans as well. And it's something, you know, two, you know, very different career paths, but I agree with you, you know, I'm, I'm like trying to unpack it in my head right now. Like, why is that? But I think it's, you're in a community where you care so much about, you know, whether it's the person you're helping or the animal you're helping or the person to your left, the person to your right, whatever it is. You know, if that's like a, a human emotional attachment or whatever um, that causes that. But, uh, you know, I, I'm, I'm glad there's people out there like you, Jason, I mean, who, you know, were able to talk about it. And, you know, that hopefully someone's listening to this who might, you know, gain just a little bit of light that it's like, it's okay that if you're having issues with something or you're struggling with something that, uh, that there's another way out than, uh, than that route. So I, I appreciate you answering those questions. And 
I know it's probably not easy for you to talk about, but uh, it is, as you said, it's a big part of your why. Um, you know, if, if we had to finish this interview on, on one last question, Jason, we've already talked about it a little bit already, but you, you've dedicated your life to saving animals, investing in real estate, asking people their why. I want to know your why in just a couple of sentences. If you could just summarize it all up. Like I said, you, you've had 50 plus episodes of asking people their why. I just want to know what your why is, you know, and, and maybe like one paragraph or, I mean, take as much as you want. Yeah. I mean, it's a, it's, it's a, like a twofold answer. My family, my kids, my, you know, my, my wife gives me a hard time because I always say the kids, but <laughs> the reason, the reason I say for everyone listening, if my wife listens to this, the reason I point to the kids is because of the, the timing of it. When the, when, before the kids were born, I worked all the time. I worked as much as I needed to. I worked like it was a, that wasn't going to end. Right. She, Cause she tolerates it. She's very, she's great. But like, she knows that I, I, I'm driven. I like to work. Like I keep going and adding in real estate to it all didn't necessarily make the work go down, but it has a, a, a future goal in mind. Right. If I kept going, uh, pushing the surgery and being a veterinarian more and more, I wasn't going to free up time. I can't do surgery at home. So it's like how, when the kids came along, that sort of triggered this, I needed to figure out a way to get time control back. And so that's one, it's my family for sure, spending time with them. And then the, the second thing is like, we just touched on is, is I really do feel um, there's a, there's a real issue in the veterinary community in terms of, um, you know, not just suicide, but like depression rates. And there's a high, uh, a high level of people that that are leaving the field right now. The 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 pandemic actually has really kind of crippled the industry because two things. Everybody else went. Everybody went and got a pet when they were home, and so the actual numbers of cases effectively doubled uh, in the pandemic. The numbers of vets went down, <laughs> and the staffing went down, and half the time someone on your staff or you know one of the vets is sick with covid in the route so numbers numbers of pets numbers of cases went way up numbers of people to treat those cases went down and so if i will i'll say if you if you go to the vet and you have to wait a little while please understand the reason you're waiting a little while one is because your pet's not as sick as the other ones they're taking care of right now mm. and two doing the best they can that's it's really true. It's really we're doing the best we can. So it's uh, it's twofold. I, I I want to I say I want to change the veterinary industry. I'm honestly not 100 percent sure what that means in total to me, but I know part of it is is trying to help veterinarians uh, develop some level of financial freedom and passive income through real estate so that they can not feel the pressure of their hundreds of thousands of dollars of school loans keeping them working. 60, 80 hours a week. So it, it's, it's two things. It started as my family and spending time with them, but it has evolved. Uh, and I think I, I get that with guests on my podcast is like people's why definitely evolves. Uh, and, and so it, I think the way I can give back the best is, is within the veterinary community. Yeah, that's incredible. And I, I agree with you, even looking at where what my while was six years ago and where it was today, it's definitely changed. I don't think that's a bad thing. I mean, as you grow and see more things, I mean, things are going to change. And I think uh, I had no idea those statistics about COVID. I know uh, I, didn't, I didn't, I already had a dog, but I'm, I know so many people who did get pets during the yeah. pandemic. And 
Yeah, that, that is incredible. And I have been, I've been in that situation, Jason, where I've sat at the back for like 12 hours, but I, I'm glad you shined light on what's actually going on that everyone back there is, is working their tails off and that most likely they're, you know, I should be almost grateful that, uh, I'm not in the situation that, you know, some other owner might be in, uh, with their pet. So, but, uh, we understand you're in a, it's a stressful time, right? You're worried about your pet. We understand, but I can assure you 100%. There's nobody sitting back there, like eating popcorn and watching a movie, like literally every person is running. And so it's just, uh, it's a tough situation for everybody. It's a tough situation for the clients, the pets, the people working there. It's just a tough situation. So, but that's why. I mean, that there's the reason if anybody, if anybody cares, that's the reason why it takes longer to get into your vet. That's the reason why if you go to the ER, it takes a long time to get seen. Uh, I, I took my son to the ER the other day. We waited for six hours. Like it's, it's the same thing in human medicine, right? Like everybody's kind of decimated by, uh, by COVID. So it's, it just, it is what it is and trying to be, remember that and be kind. I, I appreciate you kind of pulling back the curtain today and, and shining some light on that, Jason. It's, it's been a privilege to have you on. And like I said, to be a guest on the Know Your Why podcast was an absolute privilege. And I can't thank you enough. You know, I, I want people to follow up with you, Jason, even if it's not real estate related. It's maybe it's a someone in the vet field who, again, is going through a difficult time or drowning in that debt and is looking for another opportunity to build wealth. You know, what's the best way to get a hold of you? What platforms are you on? How can people find you after the show? Yeah. I mean, the, the one I'm, best and most active with is Instagram. And so it's at Lark Capital. Um, awesome. so that's my Instagram, Instagram uh, handle. They can also um, email me. It's jason at larkcapital.com. Uh, those are probably the the two best ways. And uh, I'm glad you brought up the the vet, you know, vets reaching out to like, please, please do uh, about anything, whether it's about real estate, or you're just stressed out. <laughs> because we're all stressed out. Like it's, it's, and it's not just I know it's not just the veterinary community, everybody's stressed out, everybody has pandemic fatigue, but it's, uh, I think, those are the people I know. So it's maybe a, I, I can speak to them a little bit better. Yeah, absolutely. Jason, I Cannot thank you for coming on again. I, I apologize it took this long, but I'm just so grateful no. that that you came on and shared your experience and again, shine the light on something we don't always get to talk about on here. So it, it means a lot. And I'm sure somebody somewhere is going to listen to this and it's going to add value to them. So thank you again for coming on. Yeah. Thanks for having me, Jesse. It was awesome. I, I actually great questions. Like I, I very, very good questions and uh, a good conversation. So thanks for having me. Awesome. Thanks, Jason. Hey, thanks again for listening to the Wealth Science Podcast. Take some time to subscribe and leave us a review. It really is the basis that helps us continue to bring on amazing guests each week. We have another incredible story to share next week, and I'm certain it's going to add value to this community. Please do not hesitate to reach out if there's anything I can do to help you in your journey of attaining financial freedom. Thank you again for listening, and we will see you next week.